Not everybody likes me after that process we go through. <laughs> but it is exciting how God works and how God moves people and gets them where he wants them to be. And I'm exceedingly grateful for that. I love the Gabe and Rachel and their family. And it's a privilege to be here with you today and, and bring God's word to you. If I could just pray and we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Even as we uh, sang this morning, even for the glorious day, the hope that we all have who are in Christ that while we're here, we have the privilege to worship you together. We have the privilege to serve you. But one day we will do that perfectly in your presence. While we long for that, Lord, we also long to please you in this life, to serve you well for your glory. Thank you for the privilege you give us for that purpose. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I come to you from the mountains of Colorado. So this last week it snowed where I live. It's a little warm here for me. <laughs> wow, what an adjustment. But it's great to be here and to bring God's Word to you. So the title of my message I, I've called A Revealing Prayer. And we're going to be looking at a section of 119, Psalm 119. Now keep in mind, Psalm 119, the entire psalm is a prayer. But out of compassion for you, it doesn't make sense for me to try to hit the whole prayer. So I'm going to hit a section of the prayer that reveals this psalmist's heart and I think presents a, a, just a true picture of what biblical prayer looks like and what a, the heart of a man who, who truly loves and delights in the Lord. Now, many believe David wrote that psalm and may well have done that. It could have been Daniel. It could have been Ezra. But it was clearly a man who had a love for God, and it was also a man who suffered substantially in this life. And it's important to understand that, because when we look at his heart, oftentimes believers respond the opposite of what he does. And so it's quite interesting. Now, when I call it a revealing prayer, if you can stay with me as we progress, your prayer life likely reveals a lot about you and your spiritual life. So, if you were to, to write down the prayers that you've prayed over the last week or the last month or the last year, and you wrote them out, exactly what you prayed, what you prayed for, who, what, when, why, it would reveal a lot about your spiritual understanding, your spiritual priorities, and your spiritual perspective. You think, I think that's fair? You think that's fair? I mean, I, I, I've had to contemplate that in my own life as Psalm 119 has become very precious to me, and I actually started preaching through it a few years ago, and I'm not done because I just preach on occasion, but I actually work to write devotions to the psalm on each verse as I am seeking to meditate it on, on it in my own heart because it, it has actually been quite challenging and refreshing in my life over these last four or five years is this has been the focus of my heart. And so, you know, when you think of prayer, a person who does not pray very much, who professes Christ, 
that reveals something about their heart, right? That, that lack of desire to communicate with, with God. And, and it demonstrates a, a self-confidence. I, I don't really need to have that communion with God, and, you know, I've pretty much got life handled right now. Or a person whose prayers are focused primarily on physical needs. Now, don't misunderstand me. I understand the Scriptures teach you cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And I think that's very important and precious, and I'm grateful that we can do that. But when you read the Scriptures and read the prayers in Scriptures, while there's concern for the physical, the emphasis is clearly on the spiritual. Okay? It's clearly on the spiritual. Because we know, and you know quite well, because your dear pastor is enjoying perfect worship right now while we're here, you understand that, that this whole idea of, of prayer and communicating with God, it's the spiritual things that are most important. In youth ministry, we would hear the request all the time, pray for somebody, you know, they're sick, they're sick, they're sick, they're sick, and I think it's appropriate to pray for them. But you guys, the reality is you and I are going to die. And we can pray for health, but we must never do it apart from the prayer for the spiritual condition of the person. And if they're in Christ, then for their, their strength in their testimony in the midst of their struggle, and for the testimony to others that watch. You guys, how we pray and the things that we pray for reveal our heart. Uh, <laughs> you'd be amazed how many times when I was... Uh, doing counseling, somebody would come in, and I would typically ask them about their spiritual condition. I wouldn't know if they're in Christ. And then I'd ask them about their spiritual disciplines. You would be amazed how many times I heard this. I would say, so let me ask you this. Uh, how's your time in the Word? Well, it's not so good. Hmm. How's your prayer life? Oh, it's great. And I would say gently, have you ever considered that it might be a monologue? How can you have appropriate communication with God and not be in His Word? How could, how, how could you understand, how could that happen? God communicates to us through His Word, and we're going to see that revealed in this passage Okay, so I'm going to give you a short phrase, and I'm going to say, how would you finish that? But I, folks, don't answer it, okay? I just want you to think about it, okay? So, so if you were to finish this statement in a prayer, deal bountifully with your servant that I may. God, I want you to bless me so that I may. How would you finish that? Again, I'm not asking you to answer it. I'm just asking you to contemplate it. God, I want you to deal bountifully, abundantly with me so that. Or, how about what this one? Open my eyes, God, that I may behold, that I may see. How would you finish it? Or, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide. How would you finish it? Or, my soul is crushed with longing after, 
What is it? How would that fill out in your life? Turn to Psalm 119. We'll be looking at uh, verses 17 and following. So the, the, this, this prayer, it's, it's designed to follow the Hebrew alphabet. We're just taking one small section. So in verse 17 of Psalm 119, keep in mind the psalmist is in the midst of some great challenges of life, and he says in his prayer, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. To deal bountifully, that is abundantly. We see it in Psalm 13, 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Or in Psalm 103.10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has He rewarded us according to our iniquities. In other words, He's dealt bountifully with us. Can you imagine if God held your sins against you? Psalm 116.7, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You know, it's interesting that it says, the psalmist says, deal bountifully or abundantly with your servant. Have you ever in your prayers, referred to yourself as servant? Is God servant? Because that's, you see that all over in Scripture. You see it all over in Scripture. It's, it's interesting and it's important because what's, it's, what's the acknowledgement when you bow before God and you say, deal bountifully with your servant? What are you acknowledging in that prayer? Well, if you're a servant, you have a, you can answer this one. I always warn you if I'm going to ask a trick question, by the way, okay? This seems nice. If you're a servant, you have a master. So as the psalmist comes to pray, he's not praying to get the master to do what he wants. He comes before the master as a slave, a servant, so that he can be who his master wants him to be. You understand that's what prayer is for, right? You know, prayer is not for us to get our way. Prayer is not for us to convince God to do what we want. Prayer is actually for us as servants to learn the master's will and to desire the will of the master. He says, deal bountifully with your servant. And then it says, that I may live. And when he says live, he's not using that term in opposition to die, okay? He's using that term that I may live with the idea of live in a way that actually is pleasing to God. Live in the fullness of God's will. Live life as God intends me to live life. Folks, the psalmist's prayer is, is I want God to deal with me appropriately, to bless me as only He can, but He's not looking for personal self-satisfaction in that. He's saying, God, I want Your bounty bestowed upon me so that my life will be all that You want my life to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that we who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
Folks, if you're here this morning and you've come to understand your own personal sin, that you, apart from Christ, are an enemy of God, and you've repented and turned to Christ in faith, then through the power of His Holy Spirit, He regenerates you and makes you a new person. But not only does He make you a new person, it says now you are His own possession. You're no longer your own, and I'm no longer my own. And aren't you glad for that? Amen. That God makes such a provision. And so, as the psalmist prays, and as we pray, it ought to be the desire that that God would bestow upon us His abundance, but we're talking an abundance for the service of Christ, so that I can live life in a way that is so pleasing to Him. In Psalm 1611, it says, you will make me, uh, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures of more, uh, evermore or forever. And so the whole idea is, as a believer in my prayers, I, w- I want to know that path of life. I, I, I want to know, when I wake up this morning, I want to know what God wants to accomplish both in my life and through my life today. Let me ask you this. Do you believe God has divine plans for you today? Do you believe He has divine plans for you every day? Do you live in anticipation of that? Do you wake up in the morning knowing, I have this on my schedule, I have that on my schedule, I have that, but God, I know in my mind those are business meetings or trips to the store or whatever it is, but I know in the path of life that you have divine opportunities for me every single day. And you see, as we have the heart of the psalmist for God in prayer and through His Word, we will begin to live life with anticipation. Because that business appointment may be the fact that that guy needs Jesus more than he needs business. Or you go to the hospital because you've been diagnosed with bad things, and that's a hard road. My first wife is with Jesus. I get that. But folks, the reality is, as we walk down that road… God forced us to meet people we didn't intend to meet. You think He's intentional? You bet He is. And as we walk down this road of life, God's path for us, He's going to have us intersect with people, and sometimes it's going to be through difficult circumstances. I I often have told people in the hospital, I know your situation is difficult. I just want to remind you that that person that's coming in to clean your room, or that doctor that's walking in this door, or that technician… I'm just telling you, they may be in far worse condition than you are. Believers, we can't lose sight of the mission. And the psalmist gets that in the midst of the difficulties of life. You know, the, the whole idea of deal bountifully with me so I can live and keep your word should be the heartbeat of the Christian. And in the next verse, it says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. God's Word entrusted to His children. Is that not a gift? It seems rather odd that we have to try to convince many Christians, I'm not saying you, but many times we have to try to convince Christians that the, this is valuable. They need to spend time, not just trying to fit it in, but they need to read it, study it, meditate on it, love it, absorb it, live it out. You know, so I feel like sometimes we have to say, open my eyes so that I don't fall asleep when I try to read God's Word. 
And that's not the way it is. For the person who has come to grips with who God is and they love Him, they will love God's Word. They will love. They will say, God, as I come to Your Word, open my eyes so that I can see the amazing, precious truths. MacArthur says perhaps this is the supreme prayer that a student of Scripture could speak since it confesses the student's inadequacy and the divine author's sufficiency. The psalmist, when he comes to God's Word, it's not an assignment, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to read a chapter today or whatever. No. No. You see, for the psalmist, he was willing to let anything else go in his life, even good things, things that are not inherently sinful, in order to have the time to delight in the truth of God's Word. It, it, it wasn't fitted in where I can fit it in. It's the Word of the living God given to me. And it's a privilege for us to be able to see it and enjoy it. In Psalm 9.1 it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. The more we delight in the wonders of God, I assure you, the more we're going to tell people about them because we're going to be so excited. Psalm 26, 7, that I may proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and declare your wonders. In Psalm 40, verse 5, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. There's none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Matthew Henry says, If there were wonders in the law... Much more in the gospel, well, Christ is all in all, whose name is wonderful. Well, may we who are so nearly interested desire to behold these wondrous things when the angels themselves reach to look into them, long to look into them. The whole picture for the believer, folks, when we come to God's Word, it should be with anticipation and excitement and gratitude and commitment, and conviction. Spurgeon says it shows also that the writer knew that there were vast treasures in the Word which he had not yet fully seen, marvels which he had not yet beheld, mysteries which he had scarcely believed. The Scriptures teem with marvels. The Bible is wonderland. It not only relates miracles, but it is itself a world of wonders. He goes on, this longing proved the genuineness of what he possessed, for it is a test mark of the true knowledge of God that it causes its possessor to thirst for deeper knowledge. I mean, so far this prayer is pretty short, but it's pretty profound. When you recognize the heart of the psalmist for the truth of God's Word. In verse 19, it says, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Okay, now, folks, we're not going to get into the details of this, but does our culture concern you just a tad bit? I mean, these last 20 years are remarkable. I mean, we're hearing things that who would have dreamed we would hear? and are becoming just common knowledge, commonplace. Well, you guys, the more the world goes that direction, which is not a surprise to us, right? 
Is God still in control? Do you need to worry? You sure? Just want to make sure, because I've seen a lot of Christians stressing about all of this. Oh my, oh my, this, what, what about my kids? What about, is God God? He's got it handled, folks. He's got it handled. The psalmist, back in his day, recognized that he's a stranger here. And you guys, we are strangers, you know? And when you look around, it's like, do you fit? No. Should you fit? No. As the world gets darker, your light should get, and the testimony of the gospel becomes more powerful. Don't, don't be fearful of all this. Be faithful in the midst of it. Because the truth is, I don't care if it's COVID, I don't care what it is, it's going to provide opportunities to accomplish God's purposes because God is intentional. What I need to be concerned about is, am I fulfilling His purpose? Am I recognizing the opportunities? Am I being faithful to do what God would have me to do? You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says, he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. In that day, you know, Nero was the, the king, right? He's the leader. He was the, the, this godless king of the land. And it was awful. He was doing terrible things. I mean, Peter knew then. We know now, you guys, that, that we're strangers here. We're aliens. We don't fit in. But it is interesting that the psalmist's response to that is simply, God, don't hide your commandments from me. I, I need your word. Can you imagine what life would be like right now if you didn't have God's word? If you didn't have the truth to understand what this is all about and how to live and how to respond? No, it would be awful. Amen. It would be awful. But God has given it to us, and He's given it to us in His grace. And when we go through those difficult times and we see the ugliness of the world, okay, here's my rule of thumb. This is just my personal opinion. Well, I actually think I can defend it. Read your Bible more than you watch the news. Right? The people that I see who profess Christ that are most fretful right now in this life are people who spend way too much time watching the news and far less time reading and studying and delighting in the Scriptures, right? So I'll be honest with you, it really only takes a few minutes a day to read enough news to be satisfied. Spend the rest of it well, okay, spend the rest of it well. Matthew Henry says, the request he makes to God thereupon, hide not thy commandments from me. He means more, Lord, show thy commandments to me. Let me never know the want of the word of God. But as long as I live, give me growing, keep me growing in my acquaintance with it. I am a stranger and therefore stand in need of a guide, a guard, a companion, a comforter. Let me have thy commandments always in view, for they will be all this to me, all that a poor stranger can desire. I'm a stranger here and must be gone shortly. By thy commandments, let me be prepared for my removal hence. And so, thus far he said, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Now, verse 20, listen to this. The psalmist says, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. 
Can you picture that? I mean, what does your soul long for? What is it that, that you desire and are committed to above all else? And, and folks, we're not, we're not talking words now. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, when people stand before the Lord and they say, Lord, Lord, Matthew 7, you know that, right? Master, Master, and what does he say to many? I don't know you. You worker of iniquity. I tell people all the time, you can call yourself a Christian, you can call Jesus Lord, but you guys, the real issue is, does Jesus call you his children? Right? So when we talk about these truths of my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances, I'm not asking you, do you know what it should be like? I'm I'm asking, what is it like? What are the passions of your heart? What do you long after? Because I'm going to tell you today, you guys, what we need, we need believers who love God so much that they're willing to kill those other things in their life that are taking so much time that they're not allowing that person to be all that God would want them to be. If you're trying to cram God's Word, trying to fit it in, you know, people say, well, I'm just so busy. It says, no, actually, uh, this is not an issue of time. It's an issue of love. Because we all have the same amount of time. And you fill it how you want to fill it. I fill it how I want to fill it. And if I want to have time to be a true student of God's Word and delight on it, in it, I can make decisions in my life. And the thing is, in making those decisions, some things that I like to enjoy. I, I enjoy. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, you guys, I don't think he was saying just deny yourself sinful pleasures. I think he was saying, open your hands. Let go of anything that gets in the way of being and becoming all that God wants you to be. And sometimes that's letting go of things that you enjoy doing, but you know what? They're in the way. They're just in the way. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all time. Again, Matthew Henry was not now and then in a good humor or a convenient time, right? That he was so fond of the Word of God. But it is the habitual temper of every sanctified soul to hunger after the Word of God as its necessary food, which there is no living without. I mean, the truth is, if you love God, you must love His Word. Now, you guys have seen the child. How many of you have children? Okay. How many know of child? Okay, so we'll be able to relate. Just make sure we're all included here, okay? You're going to get it. Anybody here been a child? Okay, so we're there, all right? So, you know, the child that's not being very good, you know? And as parents, we all know, I had two boys, 18 months apart. They each have five kids. I say, you're not still competing, are you? Right? I mean, there can be those tensions, right? But they're a kid, and they're not being very good. And then all of a sudden, they start being really good. Really good. Hi, Mom. Can I help? Hi, Dad. You know? And what's going on in your mind? Wow, they've really changed. <laughs> You're waiting. You're waiting, right? Because what are you expecting? The question. You know? Depends on the age, right? Can I go to somebody's house? Can I have candy? Can I have ice cream? Can I go outside? Whatever it is, right? 
And it's like, ah! They even know which parent to go to. I think a lot of people can treat God like that. They don't come to God's Word as a desperate sinner who needs God's Word to keep them on the path of life. They don't come to it with a desire to meditate on it through the day so that I can be alert to the opportunities that God brings my way. It's just that I want God to bless me. You know, I want God to give me this or give me that, or I don't want God to be mad at me. But you guys, a true love relationship with God is that I I actually want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want to live for Him. I want to be the faithful servant to my gracious Master. And so that servant is not coming to God's Word saying, okay, I need to, you know, read a chapter, whatever I do. It's coming to God's Word saying, God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. God, give me understanding that I may live and walk on that path that you intend for me. My soul is crushed with longing for you. I want to please you more than any other thing. When we look at these next few verses, verses 21 to 23, I just want to I want to emphasize to you that the psalmist, as he walks through this life, is in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. You guys, brothers and sisters, when you walk through the difficult circumstances of life, you can't push God's Word away, and you can't pull yourself back from the church and disconnect. Come on. When you go through the difficult times of life, when you go through the great heartaches of life, you need God's Word more than ever. You need God's people more than ever. And and I can remember times in my life where it's tough, but I needed to walk in the doors of the church and be with a fellowship of God's people. And we continue to serve God regardless of what the circumstances are like because God is always good and He has dealt bountifully with us, hasn't He? What a gracious God. In verse 21, listen to this. (laughs) The psalmist is acknowledging God's role in this world when he says, you rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Now think about that verse. He talks about the arrogant and the cursed, but he refers to these people as what? Those who wander from your commandments. Huh. You guys, who was, I mean, who were some of the greatest opposition to Christ in his ministry? It's actually religious people, right? Tremendous opposition from the religious leaders. Here it's, the psalmist acknowledges that God will rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, those who wander from God's commandments. So, so at some point, these people had at least acknowledged God's truth, but they're not walking in submission to God's truth. When we talk about being arrogant, the idea is proud, insolent, presumptuous. And so, what does it mean to live life arrogantly? with pride. Now, I I can't answer that completely, but I do want to give you a couple of things to think about. So, a person who professes Christ 
that doesn't seem to have a passionate need for God's Word. Is that arrogant? Seems like it. Because essentially you're saying, uh, I know this is your wisdom, God. I know this tells me how to live. I know that this prepares me for life, but I'm, I'm doing okay right now. That's arrogant. So if you want motivation to spend time in the Word, if you struggle with motivation, let me just tell you this. Do you think you have the wisdom for this day? You have no idea what God's going to bring into your life. Because the truth is, when I come to the Word of God, if, if, if I don't like, feel like it, would I tell myself? You, know what, you want to know what I tell myself? Who really cares how you feel, Rocky? S- serious? I mean, th- that is just so ignorant. You know, it's, it's like your, your kid coming to you and saying, uh, you know, Mom, I don't think I should go to school today because my heart's not in it and I just don't want to dishonor my teacher. <laughs> what are you going to say to him? Where'd you get that? Get out of here. Right? You guys, we I am a sinful, desperate man saved by grace. I do not have wisdom apart from what God gives to me. And I need it because I know me and I need God. So you guys, when, when I said priorities for the Word of God, it has nothing to do with how I feel. And if I come to it with those kind of struggles in my heart, I just say, God, forgive me for being so arrogant. I bow my knee. Please show me the wonderful things from your law. Help me to be who you want me to be. And, and, and the arrogance, you guys, I, I just think sometimes when you look at this, you can think that this, that's somebody else. But you guys, I think there are a lot of people likely in the church that are living arrogant lives, not dependent upon Christ, nonetheless referring to Him as their Lord. And that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. The psalmist goes on and... Uh, Verse 22, he says, take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. It's interesting, the psalmist knows that God's the one that provides the protection in the, in the challenge of life for the believer. And, and you, you know, Jesus made it clear that, that if they oppose Jesus, they would also oppose who? Us, his children. That's part of being a, a Christian. And so he appeals to God for protection in the midst of these challenges. I do think it's interesting, and and a commentator says this, in spite of enmity in high places, the psalmist is calm and of a peaceful frame of mind. It is almost touching to observe that. While the adversaries plot wicked things, he calmly meditates on the statutes of the Lord. There is life and his delight. In such meditation lies the source of his strength. Folks, when we're facing opposition, when people are not being kind or being awful and it's a boss that hates your Christianity or a neighbor that's just totally intolerant, whatever it is, our tendency is to focus on the circumstance. Our tendency is to play it over and over and over again in our mind, and it, pretty soon it creates, you know, fear and anxiety and all those things. But here, in his prayer, take away reproach and contempt from me. Then he says, for I observe your testimonies. In other words, don't let the unbeliever distract you from your mission. 
When you think about how much mental time you can waste thinking about things that you have no control over. You guys know what I mean? Help me out. Make me feel better, right? We struggle with that. My mind can spend hours thinking about things. It's like I'm not even in control, and God's got it handled. I need to focus on His Word, and how can I honor Him in the midst of whatever circumstance, knowing that He's the one that can take the approach uh, away? I, I do love that passage in First Timothy or First Peter two, because it gives, it tells us first of all that if you if you suffer, listen to these words, if you suffer unjustly. In other words, people are really, truly treating you wrong, unjust, and you honor the Lord in the midst of such suffering, God says, this is a good thing. That's kind of a struggle for most of us. God says, actually, you're blessed to represent me when you're truly treated wrong. And then he says, and you faithfully endure it because we just want to be done. But he says, actually, when you faithfully endure it, that pleases me. In fact, he says, you know how we're, we're really grateful how God calls us to be His children, right? He says, for this purpose, you have been called. And what's he talking about? To suffer. In the same way he's called you to be His child, he's called you to suffer. In 1 Peter 2.23, speaking of Jesus and the example that he said, it says, By, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus was perfect, and they traded him awful. And Jesus entrusted himself to his Father to deal with all things perfectly. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and following, it says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And then it says, And keep a good conscience. So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit." You know, it's interesting. You have to, I, when I read this, these verses, I often wonder, it says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. I'm thinking, who's going to ask me? I'll tell you who's going to ask you. When you're being treated wrong, unjustly, suffering immensely, and you maintain a good testimony, and you continue to love even your enemy in a way that honors your God. And they're not changing, so you're enduring. But you're enduring as your Lord endured. Whether it's that person who despises you or it's others who watch, I'm telling you, somebody's going to say, why are you acting like this? Why are you being so nice? Why are you taking this so well? And you're going to say, let me tell you, 
about how they treated my Lord and what he did for me, right? You see, those dark circumstances of life provide opportunity. If we get too focused on the circumstances, we lose sight of the opportunity. And you have to understand as a Christian, every circumstance is a a potential opportunity for ministry. Often illustrate it this way, if this was a trial, If your focus is so much on the trial, the opposition, the difficulty, whatever it is, that you bring it here and it's all you see. But if you take this same trial and you push it back, it's not changed sizes one bit, but I can see people and opportunities. When all you can see is your circumstance and you get, uh, Swindoll used the term one time, uh, inverted eyeballs. All, All you can see is yourself then you miss out on so many blessed opportunities. And see, the psalmist understands that. He's not denying these realities of difficulty. In fact, when you look at verse 23, he says, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Now, he goes, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't think there's going to be like any high up government leader sitting around talking about me. And when he says talking about it, these are not like favorable conversations. <laughs> Okay, But can you imagine when leaders of nations and people are actually talking about you and they do not like you? I mean, he has that reality. What are they planning? What are they going to do? These people hate me. But what does the psalmist do? He says, while they're doing that, I, as your servant, choose to meditate on your word. Because it protects your mind, Right? You keep your focus on the Word, you meditate on the Word, it protects your mind. Otherwise, you're going to get consumed with the circumstances. When you keep meditating on the Word, you see the opportunities. You remember that you're, you're committed to being on the path of life to accomplish what God intends to accomplish in your life. You know those verses, Romans 2, 8, or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved, right? Well, verse 10 says, for you're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has ordained before and that you should walk in them. So in this life, whatever He takes us down, we've got to be thinking, what is it that God wants to accomplish? What work is He accomplishing in my life, through my life, through this circumstance, until that day that He calls me home? It's to be faithful in our service and commitment to Him. In verse 24 The psalmist closes this section with these words. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. And that's just, I think that's a beautiful statement. That that we need counsel in this life, right? We need God to instruct us. We need to have his perspective in this life. We, we need to learn more about him so we can understand him. Because really, we don't have to understand our circumstances. The more we know God, the more confidence and peace we will have in the midst of whatever circumstances. But folks, it's to delight in the truth of God's word. And in, this, in the Psalms, it addresses this many, many times. In Psalm 119, 77, may your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Psalm 119, 92, listen to this, I love this. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. 
Psalm 119, 143, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Did you hear that? Trouble and anguish have come upon me. Life's overwhelming. Nonetheless, your commandments continue to be my delight. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Spurgeon says the words of the Lord serve us for many purposes. In our sorrows, they are our delight. In our difficulties, they are our guide. We derive joy from them and discover wisdom in them. If we desire to find comfort in the Scriptures, we must submit ourselves to their counsel. And when we follow their counsel, it must not be with reluctance, but with delight. This is the safest way of dealing with those who plot our ruin. Let us give more heed to the true testimonies of the Lord than to the false witness of our foes. Well, folks, as I just try to tie things up, let me just encourage you. You know, the psalm, this is his prayer. This is his prayer. This is what he desires. He desires God to work in him. We all need God to accomplish that, right? Are there distractions that get in the way? You bet. But it's his heart of prayer. And I would encourage you in this way. One, consider your own prayer life. Are your prayers focused on accomplishing God's will and, and being who God wants you to be? Or they tend to be more just superficial? Slow down. Slow down. If you have to evaluate your schedule, if you're in that mode where your life, you've filled it up with stuff, rather than trying to, okay, rather than just trying to say, okay, I'm going to get up earlier, even though I know I won't, I won't be awake, and I'll do my best to read a little bit before I go to, instead of doing that, could I just encourage you to get alone with God and look at your schedule and determine, rather than to cram God's Word in, get rid of something else. Just say, no, 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 God, I'm not going to do that, God. I'm going to look at my schedule, and I will eliminate what I need to so that I can actually grow in my delight for your word. And then let me remind you as a Christian, because I, I mean, I thought about this as I was doing this. I just want you to know these things are on my heart. This is what God has convicted me and worked in my heart. And I don't desire at all to be here and put this blanket of guilt. You walk out going, that was awful. Oh. You guys, we're all sinners. God saved us because we're a mess, right? And God says he will carry on his work to completion in our lives because he's a very kind, patient God. But the truth is, as Christians, it is important for spend time in the Word because as we do, we love God more. And the more we love God, the more we love His Word. The more we love His Word, we love to speak of His great wonders and minister as He desires. So it's important. But you guys, it's not, it's not to say, I have to spend time in the Word. That's the, the, the child that's trying to get their parent to do what they want. It's, it's, it's that child... I'm going to use this real quick, and I need to finish, I know. But I love this illustration. You guys have grandkids. Pictures later. But I, I, I love my grandkids. And the real little ones, sometimes they'll draw me a picture. And they'll bring me a picture. And they've colored it. And they hand it to me. And at that moment, I have to make some decisions. <laughs> I could look at it and say, so... 
What is it? But I would never do that. If it's one that had lines, I could look at it and say, you know what the lines are for? Supposed to color inside of them. But I don't. I could say, green face? Who do you know that looks like that? <laughs> but I don't, because a lot of times they're saying they drew a picture of me. <laughs> I actually love it, and I accept it, and I encourage him with it, and I put it on my refrigerator or in my office, and I delight in it. Folks, that's kind of what we're like with God. Our lives, it's going to be tough until we see our Lord because we battle sin. So we don't get it just right. And we struggle and we fail and God continues work. But it's like our life is like that picture that we give to God that my grandchild gives that to me. Why? Because they love me and they want to please me. And we're striving to do those things that will please God, that will honor Him. And it's not all in the lines, and it's not all the right color, and we're going to struggle until that day we see Him face to face. But you guys, it's the desire of our heart to love Him, and to please Him, and to honor Him. It's not a guilt-ridden obedience. It's the fact that God allows us as sinful people to be redeemed, and then He continues to work in our life until we see him. What a kind God. Lord God, thanks for your word. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for so much that you've entrusted us with. And Lord, we know in our hearts that we don't even get uh, a moderate perspective of the magnitude of your grace. And so we bow before you as servants, so grateful that you're Lord. We love you. We desire to please you, God, in the midst of the struggles and the distractions. Help us through your spirit and your word by your grace to accomplish the things that are honoring to your holy name that we might finish well in this life in anticipation of the day that we will see you. We long for that and look forward to it in the name of Jesus. Amen.